Blog Talk Radio. You know what that means? It is Fanatic Radio here on BlogTalkRadio.com. Michael Gardner along with the notorious Ben Florence here in our studios. The final cast is on ATV as well for the wonderful viewers and listeners on the airways and television waves. But we have a great show for you on how we continue part two of our Billy Walker series. Yes. We talk some NBA to an extent, the NFL, and more football talk, but not the sort of football you have in mind. But for now, we're just running the Fanatic Radio hotline by David Warden of the L.A. Times. We did talk about some America's Cup last week. Oh, wow. Had a big historic win, and now he joins us on the hotline to discuss the whole fiasco of what happened in San Francisco. And David, was this your first time covering a an America's Cup event? Yeah, it sure was. We haven't paid a lot of attention to this in the past, but with it being in San Francisco this this time, I think it got a little bit more attention. And how was the uh, the atmosphere? I guess in the the span of two weeks. I mean, being three weeks with the Cup. You know, at first, I think um, it, it wasn't that great. People in San Francisco didn't quite know what to make of it. It's, I mean, it's a big sailing town, but um, I think they were a little underwhelmed at first. You have to remember the America's Cup also has a Challenger Series, so so they were racing out in the bay for pretty much the entire summer, and there were some uh, there was a, real, a lot of controversy at first, a lot of bumps along the road for this America's Cup, and so. So the atmosphere started out a little weak, but it, it, it sure peaked at the end when the U.S. team started coming back. What sort of controversy uh, happened before? Well, first of all, you know, within the sailing world, there were a lot of people upset that, uh, you know, the, if, if, if your listeners aren't, aren't familiar with it, the World Cup, or excuse me, the America's Cup has kind of strange rules so that the team that's holding the cup, the defender, gets to decide where to hold the next America's Cup and what kind of boats they're going to race. And so Larry Ellison, the tech billionaire, his boat had won it in 2010. He decided they were going to come into the San Francisco Bay. They usually do it way out to sea. And they were going to race these big, these big sleek catamarans that go four times faster than the traditional monohulled boats. And so uh, the traditional yachts they use. So a lot of people were upset about that, a lot of the traditionalists. And then early on... Uh, a Swedish boat uh, capsized in the bay, and it killed a very popular sailor, um, Andrew Simpson, who had uh, been a, a big sailor from Britain. And then the Oracle Team USA boat also flipped. No one was hurt, but they destroyed a boat out there. People were saying these boats were too expensive. They were too dangerous. They were making a mockery of the America's Cup. So um, there were a lot of people who, who didn't think much of this 
the whole time, the Oracle team, Larry Ellison, was saying, hey, listen, the America's Cup needs to change. It's not relevant. It's not exciting anymore. We need to bring some excitement in. So there was kind of that battle going on for the whole, uh, the first few months of the America's Cup. And he certainly did. But uh, what, were your, what are your thoughts on the, the AC-72? You know, I'll tell you, uh, when you see them in person, they're pretty amazing. I had the opportunity to, to not to sail on one, but to, to, to climb aboard one day and, and check it out and then to watch them from out on the water. And, and they're pretty spectacular when you see them up close. They're massive, and they're extremely fast for the water. I mean, these are boats that approach 50 miles an hour, and that's blurry fast on the water, um, especially for a sailboat. I mean, no, no one had ever seen anything like this at, at the America's Cup. And so I have to say I was I was won over watching them in person. And then, you know, I guess later on I, I, I watched them. A lot of people watched them on TV, and I watched some replays. I, I thought they looked pretty good on TV as well. And NBC did a pretty good job of, of instituting all these new graphics, like like we see in football now, uh, to, to try to help explain the sport. So actually, I think that maybe the America's Cup is moving in the right di- direction. I don't know if they'll stick with the AC-72s, but I think it's it's the first step. Is there one of the LA Times talking America's Cup? Did the atmosphere, I guess, the mood of the fans change from that first part of the week when the United States was facing a lot of adversity until? the week after when they're making that historical comeback? Yeah, the last few days uh, was really electric out there. Because they did have these races, you know, in the bay, people could could sit or stand on shore to watch. Um, They had grandstands set up. I wasn't in that area, but uh, in the main area, there was a a big pier where people could stand at the end of the pier. Uh, You know, in, in July, in August, there might be a couple hundred people out there watching some of these challenger races or practices. In the last few days, the pier was packed. They actually had to close it down the last day. There were thousands upon thousands of people jammed in the pier and then and all the way down the pier. Even they couldn't see out in the ocean. They were watching on a large screen. And, uh, it, and there was a lot more media, and it, it got pretty exciting at the end there. At what point during the America's Cup did you realize that you were witnessing something historic and special? You know, I have to tell you, I don't think it was until the second of the la- second of the last day. Um, you know, at the start, because these were such new boats, really it was a matter of the teams learning how to sail them. Um, they really didn't have that much experience, and you knew that that the teams were going to get better, the boats were going to get faster as the competition progressed. But it, but really, New Zealand started out with and so far ahead of the U.S. because they had gone through the Challenger Series. They'd gone through a bunch of races against other Challenger boats, and they had so much more experience. They were so so much faster at the beginning that it looked like it was going to be a wipeout from the start. And I kept expecting, you know, they were up eight races to one. They only needed one more race to win the Cup. As the U.S. was mounting a comeback, I kept expecting New Zealand to just close it out, to get one of those races. And at one point, they had a race one in very light winds, but uh, they couldn't finish the course in the in the maximum amount of time, and so the the race was called off. It was nullified, and the U.S. came back and won a few hours later. So it wasn't until the U.S. won and and tied won races their seventh and eighth races and tied the score at eight eight that um, I thought that it really became clear that this was kind of something special and and maybe one of the greatest comebacks in sports history. That's a huge debate that a lot of people are talking about, especially after Oracle Team USA won. Where would you rank this among 
greatest sports comebacks? Well, you know, I don't really think it matches something like the Red Sox and the Yankees when the Sox came back and, and not only beat the Yankees, but then went on to break the curse and win the World Series. I, I kind of still rank that up the up near the top there, maybe at the top. I I still look at maybe USC coming back against Notre Dame and, and winning 55-24, you know, or the Bush push. I mean, those are those are sports, football, baseball, basketball. Those are sports that I think we pay a lot more attention to. So I'd still maybe rate them a little bit higher on the scale, but this has got to be in the top ten because uh, never before has has someone, either a, an athlete or a team, been so far down and had to win literally eight times in a row uh, to come back. So uh, it's got to be in my top ten. Of course, where does the, uh, the America's Cup go from here? They've already had all this hype and – pageantry from a successful America's Cup, a great comeback. What does uh, Larry Ellison do with it now going into years forward? Well, I think one of the problems they still have to address, you know, we mentioned these AC-72 yachts that were not only dangerous but very expensive. It it, it costs about $100 million to mount a campaign, and that includes building one or or usually two boats, hiring a bunch of people and spending two years preparing. Um, So my guess is, first of all, they have to decide what they're going to do with the boats. My guess is they may go down to a smaller version, the AC-45, which instead of 72 feet long, it's only 45 feet long. And uh, that will be that will cut the cost. And then they, they'll only have those three countries who challenge this time. Maybe you'll get 10 challengers, and it'll be a more kind of a, a more exciting competition. And then they have to they have to pick a spot. Ellison kind of battled with the San Francisco authorities. They they people were kind of disgruntled on both sides. Ellison didn't get what he wanted. San Francisco didn't think it generated as much revenue over the course of the summer as was predicted. But I'm guessing they'll end up back in San Francisco. They'll be sailing catamarans, but they'll be smaller and less expensive. And all of that will be um, will be sort of decided and announced early next year. The idea of perfect world. Where would you like to see the Americas go? Well, I I think that. I think that they had the right idea holding it in a bay where people could watch from um, from, the, from the shore where the course was tight and television coverage. You know, you could really get a, an idea of what was going on. In, in, in previous America's Cups all through the history, like I said, it was held way out to sea, and it was just sort of two boats out in the middle of a big blue screen. You really didn't have a whole lot of idea what was going on. Here you could see the course. You could get a feel for it. And so I, I think they really got it right, and and that's something that that maybe could continue if they want these tight, exciting races. You know, if they want to stick with tradition, they're going to have to go back out in the ocean. But I like it in the, I like it in the bays like the San Francisco Bay. There are certainly other windy bays um, around the world that they could where they could hold it. All right, he's David Ward of the LA Times. Thank you all for joining us on Fanatic Radio. Love to have you back on the show, especially as you noted you're covering the uh, you're, you're going to be covering the Winter Olympics soon. Yes, yeah, we're getting we're getting uh, uh, ready for that. Just was in Park City, Utah, where the Olympic uh, U.S. Olympic Committee brought in uh, more than a hundred athletes to to face the media, and then we'll be getting ready to uh, look at the uh, the trials for all the different sports, and then head off to Sochi, Russia, uh, at the in February. All right, looking forward to that. Thank you once again for taking the time and joining us on the show. All right, thanks very much. All right, here's Dave Warden of the LA Times talking America's Cup. We are now sailing fanatics on this show, aren't we, Flo? Uh, absolutely. 
All right, and of course, finish the winner. Of that sounds great. Don't cut me off. Yes. But yeah, well, quickly jumping into the show. How was your week? I don't know where we're going to get today. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, my week got pretty good. I'm uh, pretty excited in a uh, uh, few hours. After our last two classes of the day, I'm going to be heading home for the weekend. That's right. And my uncle's 30th wedding anniversary. We'll party on, uh, on Saturday night. Come back Sunday afternoon. It's going to be nice. We'll pop in, pop out at home. And great. How's your week been? Uh, busy with classes. Midterms and tests are starting to come up. Papers have been due. Good. And so it's uh, yeah, you've done a terrible job. To the daily grind of getting. Straight A's, hopefully, has to uh, strive to make the dean list. As you will be uh, partying this weekend, you know, two will be doing tonight, celebrating D.C. United winning the U.S. Open Cup. As it is the last day, tonight, tonight, actually, college night, D.C. United Fire Club against the Chicago Fire, featuring a free game tailgate, halftime mascot races, and many other activities as plugged by our great friend Malcolm Barber. Rest in peace. Who is currently at RFK right now, setting it all up. No, you and tickets will be sold at 20 bucks. I'm pretty sure they're reduced now. If you say that it's an attic radio, maybe they'll give you a discount. But for more information, quickly visit dcunite.com slash au. Yes. And by Schnack Radio, it's also sponsored by uh, American Word, beefo360.com. What's the American Word? Tell us about it. It's a student magazine. With our good friend Josh Parnell. Okay. So you actually wrote a... Uh, you actually wrote for this issue. Flow Moonlighted, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, great call. Just wait and see until that comes out. Oh, it's about football, which has been a very big topic nationally, and of course here. As we did try to get Paige Jones of the Eagle on the show, who will bring up her uh, her statement that she sent me in just a moment. But uh, give the fans a sneak peek of what set flow column is going to be about. Well, there's a lot of talk. There seems to be always a lot of talk about why, about regarding the fan base, the lack thereof for AU Athletics. And, uh, you know, it seems like a common reason people give, which is a cop-out, but a common reason people give is that we don't have a football team. And that's why fan support is low. And essentially... I call that argument out for what it is, a complete cop out. Mm. And it's a lame excuse. And even if we had a football team and I go put in all the reasons why it's unlikely and will probably never happen, but that basically that even if we did have it, nothing, not a damn thing would change. Exactly. Well, actually, the Doc Walker, Billy Walker, will answer those questions to the fans on the fence of football team in our part two of the series with our athletic director. Mm. He actually explains the financial issues and location issues of why it just simply won't work. But that's propositions for other sports possibly in the future and reasons behind that. But anyway, so basically the Eagle released a quick take and a staff ed. Now, according to Ms. Jones, the quick take is a view of selected writers, which in this case are three freshman girls with slightly biased opinions after reading it, but apparently the Eagle does not censor those or change those in any way. And that the staff editorial is obviously the Eagle's view on sports. So the fans were saying that we need a football team, or we have no school start because of a football team. And the staff was saying we need more support at the regular athletic events that we have now. And she was saying, quote, comparing them would be comparing apples and oranges. 
But ironically, they're both true, to uh, make a statement from my big fat Greek wedding. But then, uh, we tried to say, well, can we at least have you on the show as an editor in chief? And she was recommended. We talked to Eric Saltzman, who apparently says, quote, he knows much more than I do. There you go. Eagle Sports Editor. Eagle Sports Editor. She's an ass. Eagle's trash. I remember when they printed. Apparently they're coming. A rumor is on the 17th, they're going to have their once a semester print issue. Ah. Which to this day, Amworth still has more issues. But, you know, I'm just a sports editor. Yeah, that's that's Josh Bundell's site. But you know, as I say, what exactly? Flo is looking at something very interesting. To speak of an at B Flo 360, the hashtag of Flo. Twitter 100. Oh, yeah. What, in, in a word, what is it? Or in a statement, what would I guess would this be? Yeah, I, I didn't know we were going to talk about it. Uh, I guess every year, uh, Sports Illustrated comes out with a Twitter 100, like 100 people in sports who's, I guess, you got to follow. And uh, well, there's uh, a lot of variety of folks, including our uh, good friends at NASCAR mm. being featured. You've got uh, good friend Jeff Gluck, of course, Kevin Harvick. Brad Keselowski, who was famous for tweeting during the uh, famous um, uh, uh, fire delay at the, at, uh, the 2012 Daytona 500. Was that the Daytona 500 that finished on Monday morning? Yes, it, yeah. Or Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. Monday night NASCAR. That was awesome. That was awesome. It was when Chris Dow went out on SportsZone and called him out for promoting texting while driving. Except for the fact that they were in a clear red flag. Yeah. So who are the top? Who are the top ten? I guess top five that SI has. They have them in number order. Or no. Uh, who are the guys at the top? I see Johnny Football is on it. Some other notables: yeah. Kevin Durant, Jay Billis. Uh, Great man to follow because a lot of his tweets end with "I gotta go to work." It's this picture of. Bill is wearing a, a Club Trill shirt, which for those of you who don't know that, our good friend James Rochelle actually could explain that when we have him on the show next time. Yeah, like, when OU gets ready to uh, kick off Midnight Madness, it actually starts in a matter of weeks. So it's very soon. It's basically uh, Club Trill is a, a walk-on from Ohio State. The year they went to the Final Four, the Greg Oden and Mike Conley. Uh-huh. And he was on the bench. He just wrote a book and mm-hmm. has been all over the scheme. But, of course, why is the play now? Billy Walker, athletics director. Part two of the ongoing series, and he explains why AU does not have a football team. You know, I think any athletic director can say, well, we'd love to add sports and love to have more. Uh, football, you know, that's not going to happen. I can tell you that. There's just too many obstacles. You know, we wouldn't have facilities to do it. We don't have um, practice facilities, competition facilities. We don't have lights. We'd, we don't have the locker room, you know, the, the equipment area takes tons of space, you know. So unless we had major expansion, um, we wouldn't be able to, so football is not, that that wouldn't be on the right. Other sports, um, I don't see that happening in the near future. I'm not saying that couldn't happen some sometime down the line. Obviously, facility is a big issue. Uh, first of all, um, funding is a huge issue. Uh, secondly, thirdly, Title IX implications, you know, you're not going to just add a large roster sport like baseball without uh, looking at what that does uh, in your Title IX balance. Um, which that w- that wouldn't work probably right away. Men's lacrosse, you know, is one that a lot of people will bring up because where we are, Patriot League is you know so tough in men's lacrosse, and and it makes sense where we are to have a men's lacrosse team. 
But I can tell you right now, we would not do that until our other sports are fully funded. Women's lacrosse um, doesn't have their full complement of NCAA allotted scholarships yet. And uh, so I wouldn't want to start adding scholarships for a men's lacrosse program unless, uh, unless we were able to fund women's lacrosse at a higher level. And where we are, and in the Patriot League and in this area, a men's lacrosse team that's not fully funded would get, wouldn't be real competitive. So, uh, so I don't want to put anybody in that position. So I guess the short answer to your question is we're probably not going to be expanding in the near future, uh, but I'm going to do everything I can to try to ensure that we're supporting the programs we have now to the best of our ability that we can and, and keep increasing that. As, as you hear a little bit longer, you're talking to coaches, and, and I talk to our coaches all the time, and whether it be our formal feedbacks or I'm just hanging out in their office and talking, you know, you start learning on if they if they got a young team or a, or a more experienced team and what the rest of the conference or league is looking like this year or whatever. So you have different expect you know, realistic expectations of where you think everybody can can uh, finish. What I like about uh, American is being in the Patriot League. I like the fact that the Patriot League is like-minded institutions um, with like academic standards. So um, you know you don't you're not competing against teams that have nowhere near the same standards as you. So that puts you at a huge disadvantage. You know, there's not that big disparity there between between um, institutions. So I like the fact that for the most part, you know, and there's going to be different years because some teams may be super strong at another school one year or you might be weak one. But for the most part, our coaches can all look our kids in the eye and say, hey, you got a, you got a chance to win the Patriot League this year and go in the NCAAs. And um, so I really like that. That was one thing I knew about before I came here in the Patriot League. And, and certainly after getting to know all our coaches and getting to know a lot of our athletes, I, I certainly feel the same way. You know, at Air Force um, football, uh, there's a. It was the student body was it was the cadet wing. It was packed because it was mandatory. So that, that's one way to do it, you know. So uh, you know it's the same way in Navy and Army. So that 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 was nice. At least for the at least for the cadets that uh, cheered. You know there'd be some which you know that for some one reason or another didn't like uh, Division One football and they weren't all fired up about it. But for the most part they would. Other events, you know, it's it's hit or miss. You know, depending on. As you, as you know, uh, you're in this world. Um, you get a lot better attendance when you're winning. And um, but we still would try to do the same things. We're here generating excitement um, on campus, uh, and a lot of that, you know, from other teams helps a lot. You know, if you have other other teams that support one another, you know that they're going to come back and support you, and then get out with classes. You know that you have classes with other uh, students that aren't athletes to really say, hey, we really need you to come watch our field hockey. You know, game this or match this, this weekend, and um, you know that that kind of thing is is huge. So I'm trying to put a big emphasis on getting getting uh, the student body to get fired up to come out to to come out to events. Um, you know, you try to target the freshmen right away so they get uh, indoctrinated, so to speak. You know, and they they start coming and they really like it. And then when they're sophomores, they they're there. When they're in frats or sororities, they start bringing people out. And then pretty soon. You know, other freshmen when they come, they see that, and you know, it, it, I know it's it's tough. There's so many other things to do in this city, and and um, not everybody comes to college being a a huge uh, sports fan, and um, and not having football. You know, a lot of times football is kind of that that uh, school spirit nucleus that everybody rallies around, and then that kind of bleeds off into other things. So that makes it that makes it tougher sometimes. But um, but I think we're doing a good job so far. We're getting some pretty good fans, and when uh you know we got some fall sports that are hopefully going to be winning the Patriot League that that'll that'll get a lot of um, 
momentum in the fall that will carry over into the winter too with basketball, you know, both basketballs and, and wrestling also are winter sports. I think the advantage is, is you get to know students a lot a lot more than you would at, at a bigger school, not just athletes but other students. You know, I get to know um, others of you around there. Hopefully now I met all of you that, uh, you know, when you see me walking around, you'll say hi to me and remind me who you were if I, if I forget, you know. Um, Athletes, you know, I, I've gotten to, I'm, I'm getting there anyway, getting to know a lot of student athletes. You know, I like to try to get out to practices and, and team meetings and, you know, once competitions are going, take bus trips with them and, um, you know, go to their home meets and everything else for sure, games. So uh, I think that's a, a, a huge advantage. Disadvantages, um, I don't really see a huge disadvantage, you know, because uh, this is the kind of institution I wanted to come to. I didn't really want to go to a big a big state school where, you know, where there's other issues, you know, um, uh, not just with student athletes, but with students as a whole. So this is the kind of institution I wanted to go to. So for me, it's much, many more advantages than disadvantages. You know, some people say, well, you get, you go to a big school, you get all those student fees, you know, from 25,000 students, you can, you know, that go towards your athletics department, you know, but most state schools are, are underfunded as well, you know, so it's not, uh, that that's not an advantage. I don't think like some people say here here you know the President Kerwin on down really supports us well. So um, uh, I love it here. I think it's just, I think we're in a good situation. I mean, Air Force like like any service, I guess. But um, from the time you graduate, actually before you graduate, when you're a cadet, you know that that's what you do. You, they're training you to be a leader, you know. And so at 22, you know, I had I had guys working for me that were 10, 12 years older than me, you know, um, and I had to learn how to lead them in such a way that, that, that they would follow me, um, but do it with respect, you know, that, that, that they wanted to follow me, not, not that I'd say, hey, I'm a lieutenant, you're a tech sergeant, you have to follow me, that's not going to work, because these are, you know, old, crusty NCOs, they're not going to listen to some lieutenant unless, unless they, unless they respect you, you know, so you had to learn how to lead um, right out of the chute, and and as you progressed uh, through through the ranks and got a lot more responsibility, you know, by the time you're lieutenant colonel, colonel, and you're leading 800 people or whatever, then then you know, hopefully, you've taken the good and the bad from leaders that you've had, or uh, and and developed your own leadership style, you know, and 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 adapted that to who you are as a person, and then hopefully that you're uh, you know that you're you're able to be a an authentic and a genuine leader. Um, so that you know, that's that's what I did for 30 years. So I think when you bring that to an athletic department, hopefully a, a lot of those same qualities will will uh, transfer over. Now, it's, obviously, it's different. You know, it's it's a, it's a different. You can ask uh, Nancy. Maybe maybe some of my style doesn't work 100% of the time. You know, maybe it's uh, it's different wherever you are. But um, but I think leadership's leadership, and as long as you can. Um, you know, take care of your people, and I always say that if you take care of your people, they're going to take care of the mission. So if I'm taking care of people and creating an environment and a climate and nurturing that where they're going to succeed, um, that's all I got to worry about. That's my job as a leader is to make sure that that happens. And everybody wants to experience a certain degree of of uh, personal success, but I think even more than that, people like organizational success. Um, so if I can try to, like I said, keep keep that climate going and, and where our unit, our department, our teams as a whole are going to succeed. I think people really uh, respond to that. Well, I like to play my drum set. 
I like to uh, read, and I like to. I, I know this really sounds boring, but I watch sports. You know, I like. To watch. I'm a big news junkie too in polit- politics, so I, I do a lot of that. All right, so Broncos, Rockies, Avalanche, and the Bucks. So that's kind of statement walk. Yeah, I'm still a Brewer fan to a point, but the whole Ryan Brown thing's kind of soured me a little bit. But uh, and I like the Caps and the Blackhawks. I grew up as a Blackhawks fan because obviously there were no Avalanche and I wasn't out there, so I'm still. I still like the Hawks, and I like the Caps from when I lived here before. We were partial plan season ticket holders, but, but I'm a pretty hardcore Avalanche fan. I lived here from uh, the first time, 87 to 91, and that's when I, I lived 12. I could be from my house to my seat in the Cap Center in 12 minutes, so um, that was fun. And then uh, it was a lot of fun. Out, yeah, when I was out in Landover, I lived in Bowie. And then, uh, um, and then I was here again from... 98 to 2001. I'm, I got a bunch of older brothers and sisters, and uh, so, you know, I didn't have much choice, I guess. And, uh, um, and you know, I was getting beat up by my brothers all the time. They were all wrestlers, too, so that, that part of it was that way. But I played football and baseball as little kids all the time. I mean, all the time. That's all, you know. When I was real little, I wanted to be a running back for the Vikings, and as you can see, that probably wasn't a good career plan. So, uh that went away really quick, but uh, um, yes, yeah, so I, I mean it, it was just that's what I did, you know. I mean, like I'm sure a lot of you, that's all that's all I did as a kid, and uh, um, so there wasn't any big epiphany that oh, man, I want to be in athletics. You know, I always I always thought uh, that you know I was going to be a high school gym teacher, and so I'm close, I guess. <laughs> you know, but there's still hope. Maybe I can do that later. Let me take Mike Cipriano. One of the many bureau uh, writers, just for reporters for Fanatic Radio, for helping us get the Doc Walker series. But now, Doc, Doc Walker is, we used to wrestle in college, and he also noted no football because no lack of facilities. Of course. And Which I will melt my piece. Yes. A little more plug. And he said uh, no addition of sports unless the sports here. Get the full NCAA support. Apparently, according uh, to Dr. Walker, that uh, women's lacrosse is still trying to get more scholarships to their team. Absolutely. And so, there you go. No football team, no added sports. And it's interesting how he compares working at the Air Force, I mean, as a lieutenant colonel, to leading AU athletics. So, great to hear on that. And, of course, uh, we reached the break. When we come back on the other side, we will have uh, NBA news. Flo will give his uh, hockey predictions as the season started last week, which is fantastic. How hockey started this week. This well, preseason and everything. How the full season started. Speaking of Dr. Walker, from, uh, lives in Colorado, big Avalanche fan. Patrick Waugh picking up his first win, nearly smashing the uh, – the glass between him and the opposing Anaheim Mighty Ducks coast down, just fantastic. Got slapped with a ten grand uh, fine. And we're talking MLB postseason playoffs. So apparently that's big going on right now. Once again, you listen to Fanatic Radio on BlockTalkRadio.com. It's Fanatic Radio. What's wrong with that? He fought for his country. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Block Talk Radio. There is 
Fanatic Radio. Get ready to bring the pain! Ha <laughs> ha! The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Block Talk Radio. Both games in Atlanta. I think they'll drop the first game in LA and then the one 
the uh, game four. But both of those games are very good. I think that's a very good show now, but I think L.A. has the clear advantage with the starting pitching. Even with that Yasel Puig making his first postseason debut last night. That's true. Our great Mike Friel said was out of control and reckless, which he is to an extent. So the ALDS, Detroit-Oakland tonight. Uh, the juggernaut of the Tigers taking on a A's team that went relatively quiet throughout the year with uh, Bartolo Colon on the mound. Yeah, Bartolo Colon has been their ace all year, and he has been tremendous all year. But for that game, I, I took Detroit to sweep. I think it will be a, a competitive series, but, I mean, I mean, I, I love what Bartolo Colon has been doing for the A's, but are you really, is he really going to be your ace? Going up against Scherzer, and then you got Verlander in the mix. Oh, so Oakland's a very balanced team, but they're not great at any. They're good in a lot of aspects, but not great at any. Detroit gives you the power, and they give you the strong top of the rotation. And at least in the LDS, that will get that will power them through. We're uh, you know in three games. Right, Scherzer. By the way, twenty-one and three, best record in baseball, I believe. Uh, uh, yes. And then of course, uh, Tampa Bay. Mm. who knocked off the Cleveland Indians in the wild card game, takes on the Boston Red Sox. Shout out to Connor Mancuso, our resident Red Sox fan. Shout out to Dylan Schote as well, uh, across the pond in St. Petersburg. As we get to finally see a Red Sox team ready to rock and roll John Lester on the mound. Do you have them in the sweep? Or could you have Cleveland playing the Red Sox? What do you think of Tampa Bay? Um, I I did have Cleveland, uh, but I probably put a little too much stock in the momentum, and, and but the, it was a rock. It was, that was a wild atmosphere, and it's all right at a progressive field. But uh, and Tampa Bay, what's good, uh, what will help them is that they do have a deep rotation, but they're not a great road team, and they're struggling against Boston all year. I think that game is going to go four uh, four games, and I don't think Boston's a perfect team. But I do think they'll be able to get through Tampa without having to get to a fifth game. So, but Tampa will make it interesting. Again, they've got good real starting rotation, so they'll have a shot and they'll get a go at it. That'll be a very good ALCS, Detroit and Boston, which I'll side with you and pick that as well. NLCS, got to go with Atlanta and St. Louis, I think. It's funny how the Cardinals are always in the playoffs, preferably always in the, the first in the AL Central. I guess. It seems like year in and year out, they're always making a playoff either a wild card or doing damage going to the World Series. Even with, you know, with the Carpenter got surgery last year. You know, they lose Tony LaRusso, they have to get a new manager and adjust to that. Interesting in baseball. And, of course, the NBA starts soon. Preseason, I think, is this weekend or next weekend. The Wizards reported a training camp at the Patriot Center in George Mason. There's a, a the return of Derek Rose, the Chicago Bulls, and what he told on Bulls Media Day. I'm a guy where whoever, whoever's on the court, I'm going to go with him. Um, if it's my teammates, it could be my mom on the court. <laughs> she, she's going to get killed. <laughs> uh, I like that. Um, for me, uh, I'm just trying to build that mentality where I don't care who's out there, I'm going to play the same way. Said he's going to have a mentality where he doesn't care who he faces. He's going to go at them and kill them. As he references, even if it's his mom, he'll do the same. Yeah. So a very uh, exciting hype uh-huh. for Derek Rose to return back to the NBA. Will, uh, coming up a very 
nasty injury and a year-long hiatus in the league where he's trying to get surgery and everyone was mad at him because he didn't come back and help the Bulls in the playoffs. Do you think he'll be better or worse than he was before? Uh, I think it's going to be hard uh, coming back from such a bad injury to be as good as he was before. But I still think he's going to uh, – I still think that he's going to have a great year. The team definitely needs him. And in the meantime, I would like to trash uh, Bolson just at all possible. And because everyone was giving him crap when uh, he didn't come back and play late in the year or play uh, against the Miami Heat in the first round in the the AC, which I think is completely ridiculous. So let me tell you why. Because they had no chance to beat Miami regardless. Yes, they did win that game one, but that was just. Let's be honest, that was a fluke. And then you're getting drilled. Yep. You really need to bring back your franchise player um, coming off a serious injury that you should want to wait until he's 100% healthy so he can play until your team is as good as it was before. You're going to throw that completely, com- completely, uh, what's the rusty? Yeah. And not ready. They're not ready. Or even if he is 100% or good to go and good enough to play, why would you put him in a series where he's not going to mean the difference? I mean, I've heard uh, at least one Bulls fan say that, oh, well, Robert Griffin's come back from his injury back in January and he's playing now. First off, the, the Ruskins are awful. I mean, yeah, you can blame it on the defense. But with Griffin playing with a pool, he's not right. the same weapon as a brace. He's not the same weapon as he was before. Mm-hmm. Do you really want that out of Derrick Rose? Why not wait a full year? I said from the get-go, we should not play at all last year. Come back this year, and then, so he knows he's 100%, he'd come back with the, um, coming back stronger than ever. Well, I don't know, actually, I, I will, that's kind of strange to set up. But metaphorically speaking, coming back strong, and so it's making that team, a, uh, a contender in the Eastern Conference like they were before the injury. I mean, because well, let's say Rose came back against Miami and then he injured his knee even more and, like, let's say he couldn't play again or he would have to go through this whole other thing. How ridiculous was the bold look in that situation? You're, you're wasting the guy. What is the point? What is the point? You're not going to beat Miami. I mean, you know, I, so him coming back, He's definitely going to make it interesting to East uh, with uh, Indiana, Rock Solid, the Nets. Yeah, going to be your Nets. My Nets. I don't think, I'm not buying the Knicks this year, but the uh, NBA is going to make sure everyone wants to buy the Knicks. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the whole Derrick Rose thing, I mean, it, it was ridiculous and something I certainly did not agree with. And, but I think the Bulls, and even if he didn't want to come back, I mean, why are we forcing him to do that? If he doesn't feel like he's 100% ready to go, what's the point? But that's my, that's my rant. Great rant, though. But I bring a lot of flavor to the show. I, I, do, love, I do love I do love our full NBA prediction show. So next week, is that when people will be sick to release hot off the press? What is he at? I mean, it's it starts at the end of the month. Like, uh, people wanted to do an NBA preview of the sports zone. Like, why would you do it a month? We've got several more weeks to do it. 
people are out of control. And now I'm out of control, and I love it. Some more NBA news also. Kobe goes back to Europe for uh, undisclosed medical surgery. Oh, yeah. And saying, not the Achilles, but that's all a lie. It is for his Achilles. He's going to go back to the German doctor to get created again. Yeah. So he can play another season. Lakers are trying to cover it up. But speaking of LA as well, Blake Griffin said this is the end of Lost City. He told ESPN Magazine and ESPN LA that he said no more Lost City because Doc Rivers wants to bring more structure and give them more of a better winning mentality. Is that a good thing? They sort of lose their crazy, fast-paced, video Negro mentality. And now Doc comes in and can completely change it. Well, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction if the team wanted to go forward because as what's been the issue with the Clippers is that you have Chris Paul, awesome player, completely changed the franchise. Um, and, but he's a guy that wants to win a championship. That's why he pulled the crap of leaving New Orleans to get a championship. Although if he has been New Orleans, he knows the way. But and with the problem with like guys like Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan is that well probably more Blake Griffin in particular is that we don't really know what he wants to do. Does he want to do the alliance, put up the staff? Does he want to, you know, lessen on all the fun and take a step forward? At least he's saying that, but saying and doing are different things. So we're going to have to see when the Lakers hit the, you know, if Blake Griffin's going to start, uh, you know. He's an absolutely very talented player, a hell of a player. We're going to see if he takes the game seriously enough to go forward in a team that could win the title. I mean, Doc Rivers, I think Doc Rivers is a great coach. I think he is a little overrated. Mm-hmm. People forget that it, he hasn't had a huge amount of playoffs success in Crusade for the one the first year with Kevin Garnett. Like, he was good but not great in Orlando. I mean, you could also blame that on Tracy Brady and couldn't get out of a paper bag, let alone the first round. But still hasn't. Still hasn't. And uh, what did the T-Mac up to? Last night he was at the Spurs. Right. Oh, that's right. He was at the Spurs. I kept on, I wanted him to get some serious minutes down the stretch for the Spurs. They should have just run the offense to him. It would have like, been like the all days. You would have, you would have like, you would have dunked on, uh, dunked on the Birdman and then just do nothing else. Exactly. But we're right. So that big prediction. The NHL. Oh, all right. They have officially started. Yes, they have. The Blackhawks, who apparently is another one of Dr. Walker's favorite teams. Oh, God. What a, because he, there was no avalanche when he originally started at Oh, Yeah, because they were the uh, Winnipeg Jets. No, Winnipeg Jets was called. They were the uh, Quebec Nordiques. Yes. Winnipeg Jets became the uh, Yotes, Coyotes. They still have teams. They're still around. They got new ownership. They got a little bit of stability, at least for a few more years, until they eventually are right, so the top four in the East. And the Atlantic Division, the Bruins, yeah. are they going to get back to the Stanley Cup? Well, the first thing is that we should mention that there is a new playoff structure in the NHL. They're moving to four divisions. The top three teams in each division make the playoffs, and there's two wild cards for the conference. So that means that, hypothetically, the Atlantic Division could have five teams and the new uh, Metropolitan Division. Yes, fantastic names, by the way. Can have only three teams. And thus, in the playoffs, the top seed in the conference will play the lowest wild card seed, regardless of division. And then the second, uh, and then 
the other top two will play the other wild card game, and then two and three in division will play. So, and then going forward, it's kind of similar. So, great realignment putting the Capitals, the Penguins, and the Flyers, and your New Jersey Devils all in the division. Yeah, and it makes sense because that's kind of like what was the what was the Atlantic Division, and then making that added you're adding Washington from the southeast, and you're adding Columbus, who gets who they and Detroit get their long-awaited uh, moves to the Eastern Conference the West because Columbus was from the moment of inception the most Eastern team. In the Western Conference, and thus they had to play a lot of late starts because so many teams. Interesting. The hockey town is going to uh, the East. Yes, they're going to the East. And look, look at all, just scroll up. I mean, look at all the original six. Of them. You got Boston, you got Detroit, Montreal. You have forty original six to one division instead of uh, the three what used to uh, what used to happen. And then you have the Rangers, and then in the Metropolitan Division, and the Blackhawks in the Central. That Metro division is going to be stacked and loaded. Well, I looked at a lot of these divisions. They're all really good. Like, and got it right this time. They shaped it up in that moving division from uh, from what was six to four made these divisions very good. I mean, there are a couple of them that have bad teams. Um Calgary is looking like a disaster this year. David Lindsay on Sports Done Don't Rest on Calgary. Yeah, which is I thought was great because Calgary's just awful. But um Hurricanes. I mean the Hurricanes will be alright. The Sabres the Sabres are gonna be bad. They're gonna be bad. They're in the midst of a rebuilding process, which which is not not, not a bad thing. But um that team, the Sabres are gonna be awful, planes are gonna be awful. So Alright, so big predictions. As we'll scroll down quickly, these semis. You have the Hawks and the Western semis. You can, uh, you're missing the Eastern semis. Oh, I gotta go to class. Okay, so let's get to the Eastern finals then. Mm. The Hawks and the Kings. Yes. Uh, LA was bounced last year by the Black Hawks? Uh, they were in the Western Conference finals. Oh, so a, a rematch. Yes. And you have the Blackhawks in seven. I got the Blackhawks winning in seven. I, this Blackhawks team is pretty is They return everybody. They've got uh, all the firepower on offense. It's a team that's going to be an elite team in the Western Conference for a long time. All right, and the Senators and Rangers. Senators did really well last year on the best team in hockey, yet they did not make the Stanley Cup Finals because Boston just went on that insane run in the postseason. Yeah, uh, and I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the Senators team, as I said on Sports Zone. As you have, and I have the Senators winning it all. Really, all a little against the grain. A lot of people think of Chicago, and it makes sense. But I really like the Senators team a lot. They got good goaltending. Good offense. They lose the heart and soul of Denny Alperson, but they replace him with an even better player in Bobby Ryan from Anaheim. That's a team that I think is going to be really fun to watch. They got a lot of young talent on defense. They're going to get everybody back healthy, including goalie got crazy action. That's a very good team. One to watch out for, and I think you're going to hoist a cup as I am going to go to class. All right, and the final thing we'll talk about: uh, League of Denial coming as a book coming out on. I believe Tuesday. Yeah. And Frontline is doing a special, quickly a four flow exit to the, uh, the premises. It's not really that much quickly, but okay. 
What do you think is going to happen to the NFL when once all this is finally released and brought to the table? Well, I think the NFL is going to. I have not read the excerpt of uh, that was on SI.com, but I think that the NFL is going to lose a lot of credibility, and this is going to be a serious issue going forward. Like it's not like the concussion issue is just sprouted up. It's been around. It's just that the league has not done enough, it appears to go against the um, the, uh, the issues. And, of course, uh, Mark Van Iwata and Steve Sanru, um, these co-authors of this book, sat down with uh, ESPN's Bob Lee and Outside the Lines to discuss more in detail of their new novel, or new book coming out. Uh, from what we heard, obviously, in 1994, the, the league begins to form this committee, although the commissioner talks about it as a PAC journalism issue. But at that time, beginning back in 1994 through early 2000, you, know, you have as many as a dozen, possibly, neuroscientists suggesting a link between football and brain damage, and the league uh, responding in various ways that, that are effectively either denying it um, or shouting down those who would suggest the link. You quote Steve Bob Stern, who's a Ph.D. at Boston University, who's a researcher on these issues, he said, when Roger Goodell came into office in 2006, he, in his words, inherited a cover-up. It took, essentially, Goodell nine years to take substantive action. Why? Well, I think that there was this systematic attempt within the league to deny that there was a problem. And, you know, there's a sort of twilight zone quality to this, because the league itself was dispensing millions of dollars, millions of dollars in disability benefits to people who had been diagnosed with brain damage related to their football careers. And so, um, you know, you had the NFL as a matter of policy that had taken a position publicly that football does not cause brain damage, and it was embedded in the, in the system. You talk about the payments being made. Mike Webster is essentially patient zero. It was that moment when Bennett and Malu saw uh, the damage in Webster's brain. So the NFL, according to your reporting, is denying any linkage to Webster's problems, yet another arm of the NFL is cutting him a check. No, exactly. I mean, that was some of the earliest reporting we, we noticed, and it was shocking to find out that, that, that there are, do you know, there's a document that flat out states this disability board acknowledges that Mike Webster's problems, which were myriad. I mean, we're talking about everything from, from you know, him becoming sort of delusional about what his life was like, huge financial problems, many of the same stories we've heard about, about really troubled players. You know, him getting disability payments for those kinds of issues at the same time, the league is saying, no, there is no problem. And when Bennett Amalu publishes a paper about Webster connecting football and brain damage, the league effectively takes this unprecedented view of trying to retract get Amalu's paper retracted, which is, you know, you only do that if it's, it's plagiarism. It's or pretty unprecedented, like is it not? No, it's, it's absolutely. And when you look at the, the league's attempts to, to go after people like Amalu or Ian McKee, um, this is where people begin to wonder what was the league's motives, why were they going about this, and why were they being so aggressive in their attacks on people who were trying to warn them effectively. In, back in 2007, Steve, Roger Goodell called a concussion summit, sat in the room, and heard, in your term is the dissenters, the, the people who did not take the NFL committee line on this, heard them make their case. And, and saw a lot of dialogue over the course of a full business day about the dangers here. And this is in 2007. Right. So you had a situation where the, the, the new commissioner, Roger Goodell, was trying to get up to speed on the concussion issue, and they convened this conference. And at that conference, Julian Bales presented Bennett Amalo's research that suggested at that point that more than, uh, more than a few number of cases of NFL players had been, had been diagnosed with brain damage. 
And what came out of that meeting was more denials. And it really created more of a chasm between the dissenters and, and the league, which continued to deny for the next three years that, that this was a problem. We hear the word cover-up. It's an unfair question to ask. Is it a fair word to apply here? Well, I think, it's, I think it's fair not in the sense of a conspiracy, but I think it's fair in the sense of, look, I mean, they, they clearly had a body of science that they were creating that minimized the dangers of, of concussions, and at the same time, they went aggressively after those folks who were deciding there is a clear link scientifically between brain damage and football. And, of course, that special is a front line on the book League of Denial, written by a... Uh, Mark Fanneru, Wada, and Steve Fanneru, ESPN investigative reporters, dating basically back from 94 to the present day of the whole concussion scenario on what that's going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern on PBS. Very, very much looking forward to that front line to see the whole discovery of brain damage from the NFL and how the league will respond should be interesting. We'll definitely talk more about the reaction of that next week on FNAC Radio. Is that all the time we have for now on today's show? I think our guest, David Warren of the LA Times, is sitting down and talking to us about the America's Cup. Very exciting. New converted sailing fan right here, ladies and gentlemen, on FNAC Radio. Uh, I think B-Flow as well. Went off the class as... Go to Beeple 360s. We're slowly approaching his 1 million page view. So we'll have celebration and festivities for that. I want to thank all of us who helped out with Snack Radio for everyone in the studio next week. We'll sit down with Colin Sigurd as he'll talk some Pittsburgh Pirates baseball. Hopefully they're still in the playoffs. Hopefully he's not super bummed and depressed that his Bucks got knocked out of October. Also, let's give a shout out to uh, Ian Lutz. A uh, roommate of mine and ours who is running a meet this week. Wish him the best of the Ianosaurus Lux. That's his Twitter handle. For all of the Snack Radio, this has been production from our studios at American University via Radio Saigon. I'm Michael Gardner saying so long. We'll see you next time. Check the podcast out on iTunes. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>